General Abel, I'm delighted to, to be here, and Barry Merlot, Chairman of the Board of the Academy, Herbert Boyer, President of the Academy, and distinguished guests. I was, uh, Tipper and I were sitting with our hosts this evening, uh, Ed Gaylord and Thelma Gaylord, and I think that Opryland USA deserves another round of applause for the treatment that they've shown this group. And I personally enjoyed that show that was up here earlier. I thought that was fantastic. And two of the legends that were uh, portrayed in the show are with us, and Johnny Cash is going to be following uh, me to the podium, I believe. And when they talked about the Carter family, June Carter Cash is here also. And you know, I was thinking as the distinguished guests were being introduced a few moments ago, some of them were being introduced, what an incredible group this is. And what an incredible weekend this is. And if I was the age of the young people who are a part of this incredible group, I would really be enjoying this uh, even more. It is fabulous. And I've heard so many comments from young and older alike about the meaningful nature of the exchanges that have taken place. It's just a very special event. Uh, I want to thank you, General, for your introduction. Since I uh, dropped out of the race for president, I've frequently had to introduce myself. And I, I, I usually say, I'm Al Gore. I used to be your next president. But I want to tell you, I want to welcome you to Tennessee and add my words of welcome to those you've already heard. This state is not only one of the most beautiful places in America, but one of a handful of states that had terrific judgment in the presidential contest that uh, is almost over with. I enjoyed everything about the presidential campaign except losing. As Mo Udall said after his campaign fell short in 1976, I felt a little bit like the missionary in the Mark Twain story who went out to convert the cannibals. He said they listened with the greatest of interest to everything that he had to say, and then they ate him. <laughs> Actually, when people ask me how I feel about the race, I tell them that I feel fine about it. And I think of the story that I first heard on the stage of the Grand Old Opry 11 years ago. I stole this story from one of the speakers that you had last night, Minnie Pearl and introduced it into political commerce. And the story is about a farmer who was involved in an accident. And he sued for damages and went to court. And the person driving the other vehicle got a lawyer and cross-examined the farmer. And the lawyer said to the farmer, now, isn't it true that right after this accident, you said, I feel fine? And the farmer said, well, it's not that simple. You see, I was taking my cow to town in the back of my truck. And this fellow came driving across the center line, and the lawyer said, wait a minute. We don't want to hear a long, involved story. Just answer the question, yes or no. We're in the middle of a trial here. Did you or did you not say after the accident, I feel fine? And the farmer said, well, I was leading up to that. You see, I was taking my cow to town in the back of my truck. This fellow came driving across the center line and ran right smack dab into my truck and knocked it over. Threw me out and threw the cow out. I was on one side and the cow was on the other. The highway patrolman came up and took one look at that cow and said, hmm, she is suffering. 
pulled out his gun and shot her right between the eyes. He uh, came around to my side of the truck and said, how do you feel? So I said, I feel fine. Many of you, uh, that's the way it feels a little bit. It kind of depends on what side of the truck you're on. Many of you voted for the very first time in the primaries this year, and uh, several of you came up and had kind words, and I appreciate that. The others, uh, I'm willing to give you another chance. You can vote again. And I'm comforted by the, the, the famous commencement address that Winston Churchill gave to the Rhodes Scholars, and it has gone down in the record books as the shortest commencement address in history. It's a true story. He stood up after much fanfare and he said, don't give up, don't give up, and sat down. So actually, I grew up in the political profession and I heard about Michael Douglas's talk last night and it, it sounded to me as if it was something I could really identify with because my father was in politics. I grew up about 50 miles from here in Carthage, Tennessee and in Washington where my father served in the House and Senate for 32 years. I remember a time when I was four years old, my father first ran for the Senate against the chairman of the Senate Appropriations Committee, Kenneth McKellar. And all over Tennessee the signs said the thinking feller votes McKellar. Very powerful sign. Well, I, I wondered uh, how we would counter that. My mother, who was the first woman to graduate from Vanderbilt Law School on the other, a few miles the other direction, thought up the counter to that sign, and this is a true story. Every place we found a sign that said the thinking feller votes McKellar, we put another one up right underneath it that said, think some more and vote for Gore. <laughs> so it worked pretty well. <laughs> Actually, um, in his um, uh, 32 years, he had some unpopular stands, uh, at that time unpopular, expanding civil rights and ending the war in Vietnam. In those days, a political career was the very last thing that I had on my mind, perhaps like some of you, although I look at this group of young people and I wonder whether it's true, at that time I really didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. When I came back from Vietnam, I thought politics would be the very last thing that I did. I went to work as a journalist for the morning newspaper here in Nashville, covered a whole series about uh, corruption in local government and state government, and uh, then went to, I went to divinity school and then law school. and. The time came uh, when it was time for final exams and the longtime congressman from my home district announced his surprise retirement and I had a choice, either take my final exams or run for Congress. And I ran for Congress. But uh, in the last 12 years, I've served in the House and Senate addressing a variety of issues and I have enjoyed it a great deal. And as I mentioned, I terrifically enjoyed the race for president. Don't let anybody tell you that you're too young for whatever you set out to do. I was doing great in the presidential race as a 39-year-old candidate. I was doing great until I turned 40. But it was a wonderful experience, and if I ever do it again, I'll know how to do it a whole lot better next time. Some of you may decide to enter public service. 
I have talked to many of the young people here and have heard about plans that are very inspiring in a whole variety of fields. Some of you may find that you feel you can make a contribution in public service, and I certainly want to encourage you to do that. But whatever profession you decide to pursue, please keep in mind that your talents, your knowledge, your willingness to get involved are greatly needed in order to guide the, the course of this nation. Andrew Jackson, for whom this boat uh, is named, was famous for saying that one person with courage can make a majority. One person who cares about what's happening around him or her can have an unbelievable impact on what does happen. The future is not something we predict. It's something that we create ourselves with our hands and with our minds and with each other. And we make the mistake too often of asking politicians or public servants alone to bear that burden and make those decisions because the genius of our system of government is that we ask those in all walks of life to think about what we're doing and to participate in helping to shape the destiny of America. When I was in uh, high school, I heard two parables that made a difference for me. Neither one of them is long, neither is particularly funny, but for some reason they had an impact on me. The first one was about uh, a doctor teaching in medical school about the human heart. And I'm, I'll be careful in telling this because I know Bill DeVries and Leonard Bailey, two of the greatest uh, heart transplant surgeons in the world, are, are here. But it was very simple. The doctor said, if you're trying to teach students about the functioning of the human heart, it's impossible to do it with a plastic model or with a dissected heart on a cold plastic table. You have to somehow enable the student to see with his or her mind's eye the functioning of the heart inside the human body as the body lives and as the heart pumps blood to the extremities and sustains human life. It's the only way to understand the true function of the heart. Well, the point was, if you're trying to understand your life, it's impossible to understand it in isolation from others and from the world around you. In order to find meaning in your life, and find direction in your life. You have to see your life in the larger context of your community, your nation, and the world that we're living in. And I hope this weekend is an opportunity uh, for many of you to do that. I know that it is. The second parable was about a young woman who was attempting to traverse a rock-strewn uh, desert and as she walked, she found that she ran up on rock outcroppings and boulders and had to go way out of her way around them. And on other occasions, she would find that she was headed down a ravine that would, the walls of which would slowly climb and she'd be at a dead end and have to turn around and come back out and start over again. And then she came to a large boulder and hit on the idea of climbing up on top of it and looking on the horizon, and a kind of a path opened up which enabled her to go not exactly straight, but fairly straight and miss the obstacles and the dead ends and get to her objective.
I hope that this weekend is an opportunity for the young people here to climb up to a higher vantage point and consider your lives in their entirety, to look toward the end of your life so long from now and ask the question, what would you like to have accomplished or to have done when your life is over? By looking that far in advance, you can find a path that might otherwise be obscured. If you look just a week or a month or a year ahead of yourselves, then you'll hit some obstacles that can otherwise be avoided and run into some dead-end paths that you don't really want to waste time on. So I envy the opportunity you have at this stage in your lives to listen to the riveting discussions from these tremendous experts from so many different fields of life. And in closing, let me leave you with a, a verse that I've memorized as a young child, if I can still remember it, uh, that goes like this. Isn't it strange that queens and kings and clowns that caper in sawdust rings and common people like you and me are builders for eternity. Each is given a bag of tools, a shapeless mass, and a book of rules, and each must build, ere life has flown, a stumbling block or a stepping stone. Good luck this weekend and for the rest of your lives.